Amen. Good morning, everybody. It is good to see y'all, and we are glad you're here. If it's your first time, again, just want to say welcome. Welcome to South Point. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for being a part of that community as well. And uh, man, welcome to July. And so it's a little warm this week, fun times. We have been walking through, most of you know, or if you're new, we've been walking through this series called The Greatest Sermon, where we've just looked at the Sermon on the Mount, these three chapters in Matthew, where Jesus takes a group up onto a mountainside, and he begins to teach them. And we've kind of said it has these ebbs and flows through it. And last week we got into a new kind of talking point that Jesus had. But I'm going to have to nerd out for a second to kind of explain where we're going today. Because if you want to be a great hero, you have to have a great villain, correct? Like you just don't know the hero. They don't make movies about heroes who only stop bank robbers. Like you have to have a name associated to it. And so once you have a really good villain, then you can have a really good hero. And then you can make billion dollar movies out of it, right? And so you take someone like Thor, this unbelievably chiseled Australian guy, and I know it's my wife's celebrity crush, and I realize that. I also know that he and I are only about a month apart in age, and so I look at Chris Hemsworth, I'm like, I could look like you. And then I go, nah. <laughs> but if he's going to be a great hero, he has to have a great villain. And so let's throw his own brother into it, a guy named Loki, and let's make lots of movies about him. And you can have two characters that are alike in a lot of ways, they're, they're sort of related, but they're very different. Then you could take someone like Wolverine. Most of you probably know who that one is. I may or may not have named my son Logan because of that. And he's this great hero, and he's got a great villain called Sabretooth, who again, in some semblance, is kind of his brother. And then you can even get away from that a little bit, and I'll say the biggest one out there, and I know it'll make Owen happy, it is Batman and Joker. It doesn't get any more hero and villain than that. But what happens when these things start to look really alike? Like, what happens if you go into the Bible and you take Cain and Abel? These are two brothers. These are two brothers when there's a time where there's a lot of social distancing because there's almost no one else on the planet except their parents. And they grew up hearing the same things from mom and dad, the same stories about God, the same story about being cast out of the garden. And then one day, Cain gets upset and kills his brother. Or you look at Moses and Pharaoh. Moses, who was raised in Pharaoh's home, who he knew, like they had had a lot of conversations that aren't recorded within Scripture, and yet you have Moses coming to free a people, and you have Pharaoh opposing them. I'm not a hero, but I would call myself a shepherd. And when it comes to shepherding, you have to have a couple of things. You have to have sheep, congregation. You also have to have the villain, and it's wolves. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about today. In fact, last week, we, or two weeks ago, really, because we kind of had to jump around a little bit. In this section of the sermon, Jesus has gone through, and he's taught on the Beatitudes. He's taught on prayer. He's taught on, on the law and things like that. And then he gets to a spot where he says, hey, I love you, and I need to tell you there are things out there that are going to try and pull you away from me. There are things out there that are going to try and pull you away from God. And he said last week, hey, there is a wide path that leads to destruction. You don't want to be on that path. The narrow one, it's harder, it's more difficult, but it leads to eternal life. You want to be on that path. And this week he's going to address something else because Jesus is looking at these people and he loves them. Like he, he knows, hey, there is great evil out there. Right before Jesus gets to this sermon, he spends 40 days in the desert preparing himself. And during that time, he's tempted by Satan. And so Jesus gets to look at everyone and goes, you can't understand the depth of evil that is in this world. I just spent time with it. I looked it in the face, and I'm going to defeat it, and I'm going to destroy him. But you need to understand, there are things out there that are dark, 
And sometimes they manifest in like a, the devil itself. And then he says, sometimes it's just a person that comes along. And this person pretends to love you. This person pretends to speak truth into your life. But really, they're just trying to destroy you. And so today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 15. Jesus says this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns, thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? And so Jesus comes, and he's again teaching this people. And he says, beware of false prophets. The first thing you have to understand is beware there has to be an acknowledgement that, hey, this is going to come. Like, this isn't some big surprise to Jesus. Like, he understands there are going to be people that try and come into your life, and they're going to try and take advantage of you because of your faith. And they're trying to pull you away. And so he says, you've got to know that this is out there. It's the first step. Beware. I would say this. Don't be taken advantage of spiritually. Don't be taken advantage of spiritually. And this, unfortunately, happens a lot. What I'm doing right now is unbelievably dangerous at times. And here's what I mean by that. When you go to a service, you hear a preacher, most of the time if you're there willingly, you're going to believe it, right? Now there's times you walk in and go, that's, that's insane. Um, but most of the time, like if you're continually coming to a church, you're acknowledging, hey, the person that I listen to each weekend, I believe them. So not only will you believe it, but people will defend it adamantly. Right? That's why we have different denominations that go, no, this is what it says. Well, who told you that? My pastor. And that's created lots of different things. And sometimes that's just little nuances of things we say we're open-handed on that. And then there's some times where it's things we go, hey, I'm real close-handed on it. But this can be a very dangerous thing because people can get on a stage and they can say stuff. And because it's related to faith and because it's related to spirituality, we think about it differently. Like we defend it more. And so if we're not careful, this can be a very dangerous thing. And there are people out there that I would say this. They want to prey on you. And not P-R-A-Y, P-R-E-Y. And they come into places and they prey on people and they take advantage of their spirituality. They take advantage of the fact that there are times where people are desperately looking for something. Like, I need hope. Like, I'm hurting right now. I, I, I need hope. And they hear a voice sometimes. And sometimes that voice, Christ would say, you think it's a sheep, it's a ravenous wolf. And there's people that travel around and what this looks like in our world if we're not careful. What he said is, hey, it looks good. It looks like someone that you want to listen to because they're wearing sheep's clothing, but underneath it, it's a ravenous wolf trying to pull you away from truth and the true gospel. And so sometimes this looks like someone knocking on a door. There's a reality that something can look good but a couple things, like there's times where at the end of service, you guys know, we, we pray for local churches. And there's times I've been very forthcoming. Hey, we're praying for a church that theologically we're really different. Um, but it's stuff that we can still kind of be open-handed on. But there's some of them we're just never going to pray for because I don't see that as a church. And the reason is because I believe in this deeply. And if something runs completely contradictory to it, and I mean completely contradictory, then I go, mate, we're not talking about the same thing. So sometimes it looks good, and so you could take something like Mormonism. Like, that's a really moral group of people. Like, they're much nicer than me, I'll probably say that. But 
when you start having conversations, and sometimes we go, well, they believe in the Bible. Well, you have to learn terminology. You have to learn, like, you know, if, if you're going to have a conversation with someone, you have to be speaking the same language. And so I can say, I believe in Jesus. And I can look at someone else and go, do you believe in Jesus? And they go, yes. And sometimes that's where the conversation stops. And people go, oh, we, we just said we believe the same thing. But then what happens when I say, well, let's define Jesus. I believe Jesus Christ was the son of God. I believe that he was born 2,000 years ago from a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He laid that life down as uh, offering for us. And we have forgiveness through it. Well, who do you think Jesus is? Pink bunny with one ear. Well, then suddenly you've defined the terms. This Jesus doesn't look like this Jesus. And if you go through their text and the added text that are in there, what you find is, man, there's a lot of things that just don't line up with Scripture. Like Jesus being the brother of Satan. That's a real thing. Um, like God ascending and you can become like God and you can ascend into being your own God. That's a thing in there. A number of lots of other things. Like I'm not going to get into an entire apologetic thing today, but when you really start looking at a group going, hey, it sounds good, but it's pulling people away from a true gospel. Or another knock on the door. It could be Jehovah's Witness. Again, morally, great. I wish more Christians would evangelize like that. But when you get into definitions again, well, Jesus was the lesser God, and he was actually the archangel Michael, and then he became Jesus, and... He was resurrected, but not really like in a complete resurrection standpoint, and it just doesn't line up with Scripture. Those are just the knocks on the door. You can actually go into a building and find other things that are trying to pull people away from a false teaching standpoint. That's why you hear me talk about when we, we say the prosperity gospel. Like, I don't run with that at all. Like, because the idea that I can look in Scripture and go, if I give 20 bucks, God's always going to give me 2,000 back. It's just not there. And what I find is people taking advantage of people who are already hurting, and it's almost like the spiritual lottery. I'm going to give to God because I know it's going to have a big payoff, and it's not the full gospel. Or you get into really liberal theology where they say, hey, well, you can just kind of pick and choose through the Bible. Like, some verses are real and some aren't. And we know there's different ways to interpret the Bible. There are times where the Bible does use figurative language. Jesus does that. I'm the way, way the truth, and the life. That's a straightforward statement. I'm the bread of life. He's not a loaf of bread. Like, we know that. We can read through and interpret within that. But the idea that you can go, well, I like this part, but some of these other things are a little convicting, so we're going to take those out. That's this is not, you can't say this is an authoritative thing if you pick and choose your part. And so there's groups out there that will knock on your door, and there's places that you can go, and all of them look like believers, but deep down, the Bible would describe them as wolves. And I don't know what that looks like. I know what it looks like to stand on stage and talk about things and go, this is really convicting because I'm, I'm having to work on this myself. I don't know what it looks like to proclaim the gospel and then go home and go, I don't really believe that. That's a weird thing to me. I can't figure out what that looks like, and yet we know it happens. We know it happens way too often, and Christ is warning us about that. And so the question would become, so how do we... How do we find these people if they're disguised as sheep? Because we get a lot of people in here. And so a couple ways to spot a false prophet. First one's this. Pay attention to their manner of life. Pay attention to their manner of life. When they're not in a teaching moment, do they look like and sound like the person that you saw on stage? Like when you talk with me outside of church, I hope I still sound like this. 
But there's times where you can look at someone's manner of life and go, man, that is just really not lining up. And there's one way that a lot of people try and go to this, and we always go to it when it comes to like, okay, how much money does that pastor have? Like, there's the weird thing. Like, it's people are like, you know what? We want to be a blessing to our pastor, and we want to make sure that he's blessed. And then there's times where like, how much do you make? Like, that's too much blessing. Like, this is where you have to be careful. I would say there are two groups. There are rich pastors who are taking advantage of things, but there can also be, the reality, pastors that live in rich areas. Area I worked in, a church I worked at years ago, was a really, really affluent area. Um, I'm not joking. I had a kid dropped off in a helicopter one night. I was the part-time student pastor. We didn't get helicopter money. But lived in a rich area, and they made the decision years ago, and they said, hey, we want our pastor to be able to live in this area as well, which means we're going to have to pay him more. And I kind of get that because, look, God called that person to that area. Now, it's funny. God calls a lot of people to those areas. <laughs> like, those, those, those jobs get snatched up quick. Um, but the reality is someone was called to minister there. And so you kind of have to be careful in some of this. But then there are other times where you go, man, you talk about being a blessing, and you've got a jet, literally. And like, we read those stories over and over again, and it's like, that just doesn't seem to line up. Like, I can still tell Jesus about people while sitting in the economy class. <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> I've never sat in first class. But does their manner of life look like they're teaching? You also have to be careful in this one. Their manner of life may not look like your manner of life. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we define all of Christianity, and we say it has to look exactly like this. And what you have to be careful with is there's going to come another generation, and they're going to look a little bit different than you. Look, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle on this one, and I'm, I'm seeing this a lot more. Because there was a time where I had people that looked at me and they're like, you can't really be doing ministry because of the clothes that you're wearing. And we've lessened on that a little bit, but sometimes it's, hey, that type of music isn't God-honoring. Well, be careful because maybe it's just a little bit different, but maybe it's still very gospel-centered. So there's times where we look at something and go, well, your manner, your, your walk doesn't look like mine. Well, we're looking at the outward appearance, not the message that's being sent. And so I have to remind myself often, like our student pastor, Josh, we're the same age, so we don't have to talk, have these conversations. But one day there's going to come a day I'm going to look down and be like, man, this punk kid is our student guy. And I'm going to have to remember that somebody a long time ago had to look at me and go, why did we hire him? <laughs> like, do we see a trajectory? Like, or is it just warm body? Like, it's times where you have to go, hey, to take a step back and remember, sometimes things are going to look a little bit different. But when you get into the morality side and the obedience side, Whoever's teaching, their walk in life better look like the things that they're saying. Then you need to pay attention to the context of their teaching. Pay attention to the context of their teaching. Is their teaching gospel-centered? We use that word a lot around here, and I've, I've adopted that from different people. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture at South Point Church. We are always going to preach from the Bible. We are always going to talk about it a lot. We're going to see it as the authoritative truth. As different issues arise, and this year's been kind of crazy, but look, there, more things are going to come up. We are always going to go back to this. We are always going to be gospel-centered. We are always going to preach the full gospel. We're not going to try and take parts of it out. And so we believe that God created the world, 
in perfect harmony. Where we call shalom, in, in Hebrew it means peace, but it carries this bigger idea. It means all is as it should be. It's not just the absence of bad, it's the presence of perfection. And that's how it creates the world. A couple pages in, mankind sins. Adam and Eve rebel against him, and sin becomes part of our nature, and we don't shy away from talking about sin. It's a real thing. We all know that it exists in our lives. It doesn't take much to look around and see it. And we always see it in other people, but it also doesn't take long to look and see it in our own lives. That sin separates us from God. And if the story ended there, God would still be God. But he's gracious. In the perfect time, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life on this earth, laid his life down on a cross, was crucified for our sin. He paid the price so that you and I could experience that, experience forgiveness, experience grace. And when we turn away from our life and say, I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, in that instant, you're made into a new creation. And we continue to grow, and we hopefully grow spiritually, and we still mess up. And then one day, in God's perfect timing, Jesus is coming back. And sin's going to be no more, and everything is going to be restored to as it should be, back to shalom. That's what we call the full gospel. And we don't shy away from that. And so from a context standpoint, we are always going to preach that. We're going to preach through Scripture a lot. You know, sometimes people kind of go, hey, what kind of church are you? Are you what they call exegetical, where you just kind of walk through verse by verse? Are you topical? We kind of mix them. We spend more time doing what I'm doing today. But from a topic standpoint, I'll tell you, in a couple of weeks, we'll talk, start one that's semi-topical because there's some areas I feel like we need to address. But we're going to address them with Scripture because that's how Scripture does it. Whenever Paul writes a letter and he goes, hey, I'm seeing this over there i got to address it, and he does it in a biblical manner. And so do we, are they gospel-centered? Do they see the Bible as authoritative? Like if you go to a place that, you know, if they can pick and choose, you can make it say whatever you want. And then is it like Bible or is it self-help? Because that's kind of creeped into a lot of places today where it's just improve yourself, like improve your morality. Don't be a jerk. Well, that's good, but there's more. <laughs> like the gospel changes people it just doesn't it doesn't just make them better it makes them a new creation and so when you're out of place and you're listening to teaching whoever's teaching better love the bible and better love it deeply because you can pick up on that it was a couple months ago mike diaz sent me a message and said hey we're gonna be in austin do you know any churches there that i could go to and i went yeah man you're you're finally gonna get to hear good preaching and he didn't argue about that when he came back i'll say that <laughs> Um, he's like, yeah, that guy was good. I'm like, yeah, I told you he would be. <laughs> and I also know I'm not that guy. This was one of my mentors. was a guy that was one of my professors in seminary. Man, when that man gets up, in real life, he is, he's like a superhero. He's calm, quiet. You would definitely say like an introvert. Put him behind a pulpit. Now, he's a little bit shorter than me. <laughs> Doesn't happen very often, so I'm like, hey. And he gets behind a pulpit, and that man loves Scripture, and he loves to teach, and he loves to share the gospel, and he gets excited, and he makes these sounds where he goes, mm, a whole bunch of times. And it's really awesome, and it's contagious. And people know that man loves the gospel. And so when we're listening to teaching anything, and here's the reality, you can come get teaching here, but we live in a day and age where you can get it in really, really good ways all over the place. I'm thankful that we live in a time where we get the opportunity to be able to have teaching from so many different places. But when you're listening, you need to listen. Does that person love the Bible? And listen to their context. And the last one is this. Pay attention to the effect of their teaching. 
Pay attention to the teaching's effect. Does it get likes? Or does it point people towards God? Because we live in a day and an age where we like the like button, right? We all have done it. You go back and look at something you said just to see who agreed with me. Like we've created that culture. And it can definitely creep into ministry as well. Where we're more concerned about someone liking something instead of it pointing people towards God. Does it grow a crowd? Or does it grow believers? Because if you want to grow a crowd, that's actually not that hard. Just tell people what they want to hear. And I'm not saying that that instantly makes like any big church bad. Because I know really, really, really big churches with really, really, really gospel-centered teaching. I also know some really, really big churches and gospel-centered. It's just what people want to hear. Like if that's all you do is tell people what they want to hear, it's super easy to get people to like you and to come to your church. But is it growing a crowd or is it growing people towards God? Is it ever convicting or does it just make you feel good? Because if you're not convicted, I said this a couple weeks ago, if you're not convicted, if there is never a time that you come to church and you don't go that hurt a little, or sometimes a lot, then you're not listening. And that goes for every person, myself very much included. Because scripture pierces down and it shows those areas where you go, I'm supposed to have it put together, but I just do not have it put together yet. Like, what effect does it have? Like, if you're listening to a teaching, are there times where you go, man, that was really convicting because it moves me towards the gospel? Or do you sometimes go, that was really weird? Because <laughs> I've had that moment. Like, I'm right out of college. I'm a young seminary student. So I've got my undergrad, and I'm well on my way to being Dr. Jamie Pope. A couple semesters of seminary beat that out of me. Um, but at the time, there was a well-known pastor. I'm not going to use a name. But there was a well-known pastor. And had the speaking tour. And a bunch of us were like, let's go check that out. And so we went. The first thing that was weird, and I didn't think about this until later, I paid to go to a sermon, um, which is kind of different. But as I'm listening and watching, like I've, I've used some of this guy's material before, like it was really popular, and, and I'm watching, and the, the talk was very intellectual. It was also strange. The entire time he had this very choreographed walk, the entire time, which I just don't do that. Um, and if someone wants to, but it was so, you've practiced that a lot. Um, and by the end of it, he's sitting on an altar, which not as weird as that sounds. Like it was a prop. Um, there were no animals or anything involved. But he's sitting on this altar, and he says his last line, and then he repeats it. And then he repeats it. And then he repeats it. And the curtain came down. And a lot of people clapped, and I remember sitting there going, that's weird. Like, <laughs> that... That's just different. It was strange, and I need to look into some things. And now, like, no one really argues that this person is theologically sound. <laughs> like, it's just one of those very apparent things. But it was one at the end of it. What was the effect? The effect was the Holy Spirit in me going, maybe I want to look into that. <laughs> and I'm thankful for those moments where the Holy Spirit prompts us in that. And so we need to look at what is the effect of their teaching. Is it pointing people towards God, or is it just creating this happy, feel-good moment? Because happy, feel-good moments are great. Happy, feel-good moments can still lead a person to hell. <laughs> it needs to be a change in heart. It needs to be a new heart. And then to kind of follow up, Jesus says this. This is also how you know them. He says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. 
A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus just said, hey, from a teaching standpoint, the people that you're listening to, you ought to be able to look and see fruit in their life. Fruit that points people towards God. Fruit that is changed lives. But we also need to look at that in our own lives. And you have to ask the question, okay, what kind of fruit are we producing? Like, is it good fruit? Like, now look, everyone at some point, you can be a believer in Christ, you'd be a good tree, and you'll have a little moment where it's like, eh, that was a mess up. But predominantly, like, what good fruit are we producing? Is it love? Like, if we take the last several months, what fruit are we producing? Are we still loving on our community and doing that well? Are we compassionate? Do we look out and some of the fruit that we bear is going, I know people are hurting and I want to do something about that. I want to be like Christ and I want to live out the good works that were prepared for me in my community. Do we have compassion? Do we care for people? Are we forgiving? All of these things. Like, are we bearing good fruit? Are we forgiving towards others? Or is the fruit that we have a little more sour? Like, are we just angry all the time? And like, if we're not careful, that just swells up so much right now. And if you start looking around, it's, it's harder and harder to find good fruit right now. And so we want to celebrate the good stories, but are we producing anger? Are we producing division? Is that what we're bearing as we go out in the community? Are we being the people that God called us to be? He said, you're going to be known by your fruit. And so we look at our lives and we take a moment and go, what's there? Like when I, when I interacted with that person at Walmart the other day, what did I produce? Because at times it's hard, right? Everybody's on the edge. But did I produce something that pointed someone towards God? Did I show that I have been made into something new? Or was my fruit a little more prickly? So as we go out of here this week, be careful. I want to kind of give that as a warning. You have so much access right now, which is a good thing. At the same time, be careful some of the stuff you listen to. Run through, hey, is this a wolf in sheep's clothing? Or is this something that is really God-centered? And then let's be a people that are known by our fruit. Like at South Point Church, I pray that people go, hey, I don't, I don't just know them for a building. I don't know them for an address. I know them for the things that they do. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, this morning, I pray that we always listen intently and see the things that you're teaching, and God, make that part of our life. God, I pray against any kind of teaching that would pull people away from you. I pray that you would shut mouths at times if need be. God, I pray that we would be the people that listen intently to your word. God, that it's convicting and it grows us. God, that it changes us as we talk about the full gospel. If there's anyone here today, if there's anyone listening that you heard that from, from creation to restoration, go, man, I've, I've never experienced that kind of love. I've never experienced forgiveness, and I want that. God, I pray that you would just pray right now, God, as best as I know how, I want to turn away from my old life. I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. And we, God, that we would be able to celebrate that. And so if that is you, I would pray, put that on a connect card. Talk to one of our staff, one of our elders, and just, we want to celebrate it. 
And then as we go out, God, I pray that we would be the people who are known for good fruit. For showing the love that you gave to us to other people. For showing the compassion that you gave to us to our neighbors. God, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.